0: From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in qualified, quantified Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development.
1: I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games.
0: I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, and I, too, make nice games. In this week's episode, we talk to games user experience and analytics researcher Nick Van Mierden to talk about the role of data in gaming, and what it's like to work with the numbers. Nick promises this episode will be, quote, boring as hell. And so, <laughs> if everyone's ready, let's start. Hey, Nick. Hello. (laughs) Welcome to the program.
2: Thanks. Thanks for
0: having me on. Yeah. um, You are, of course, a a fixture here at Glitch as one of the co
2: founders. Mm -hmm.
0: Tell us about that.
2: So, we started Glitch when we were undergrads at the U. I don't know. You've already interviewed Ava, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, do you want me to (laughs) recap all of that? (laughs) I mean, we got some time. You can never have some time. (laughs) <laughs> all right, I'll give my version of it. Okay, so, not interested. Not interested. Yeah. <laughs> so we started Glitch as an undergrad group mm-hmm. um, at the U of M Twin Cities, and it was named something very different at the time, which yes. Steven remembers.
0: Tapone Gaming.
2: Mm-hmm. Every That's time very you very catchy.
0: Whenever someone mentions that old name, you
2: kind of all roll your eyes.
0: <laughs> You're like embarrassed it. By was it was not a good name. It
2: was a bad name. <laughs> It was very nice. Those are
1: dark days.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was just explaining that name to anyone. I know, right? It was The worst yes. thing in the world.
3: No, no, it's Teapon. No, Teapon.
2: This is how you spell it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I also found a bunch of the T-shirts the oh, other day. Yeah, I had I had like, my
3: um, um my polo shirt. You were yeah, yeah back in the day. It's like Good six time. years old, probably.
2: <laughs> Oh man, it is. Uh, cool.
3: Yeah. I like that thing
2: though. Vintage. Nice and straight. Vintage, yeah. <laughs> so I graduated just as the group was getting going. So I served as the advisor for the group oh, okay. for a long time. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, right, nice. everyone else was like two to three years younger than I am. Mm-hmm. And still, yeah. Bunch of babies. Bunch of beebs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, like, I every day after work, I would work on glitch work it was fun like it was generally just very fun to work on so when we decided to kind of keep going with it after undergrad like after everyone had graduated um that was on kind of the founding group um like we were all still happy to work on it yeah yeah and now we are where we are now in glitch in glitch hq glitch glitch (laughs) (laughs) Glitch one word one word word. (laughs) gotta pronounce it all as well yeah
0: But outside of Glitch, you you know have gone on in your studies Mm -hmm. and and for to this topic,
2: yeah. And I mean, if it wasn't for Glitch, I would have never known this field existed. Yeah, Um, like we were at PAX four four and a half years ago, Mm -hmm. and we went to a panel on like player toxicity. Mm. Uh, So there was somebody from Microsoft, somebody from Riot, researchers from like four or five different companies. And they all had kind of these experimental psych backgrounds, like human factors and psychology backgrounds, with their PhDs or masters and studying how people behaved in these games in order to just enhance the experience for everyone else. Mm -hmm. And I was never exposed to that route, that Mm -hmm. career route of (laughs) you. Yeah. Everyone is a clinical psychologist okay, in right. the psychology department, right. yeah. or a social psychologist with like a very st- standard academic route. Mm-hmm. Once I met David Pavlis from Riot, who has like kind of served as a mentor for a while. Mm-hmm. I just tried to figure out how I could pursue this career with my five years of research experience at the time. Like I had, it would obviously translate. I just didn't know how at right. the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe you can describe the field
0: as sort of as succinctly as you can for the listener who just may not know about this at all.
2: Yeah. So there is generally a large group of people employed in the games industry that study how people play games. Um, whether it is by playtesting with them, uh, developing analytics tools to study like large swaths of player behavior. Or helping out designers with more of the psychology of why to design certain ways. Yeah, mm. um, and this is kind of all lumped under the terms of UX research or user experience research, games user research, data science, <laughs> analytics. Uh, all, all a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, there's a. All of these people generally have a very similar goal, uh, and that's to understand players better so that they can improve the, the game and the user experience. Mm-hmm. What
3: I find really fascinating about this topic is that like you're looking for the science behind the game design, mm-hmm. which I mean, a lot of times when you're designing things, you're kind of just going off your gut until you get people to play test it. And even then, you're going off your gut because maybe somebody says, I don't like this. But like, you're like, do you really not like it? <laughs> 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 but what's good about like UX research and things like that is that like you have facts, and you can use those facts to make your game better. Facts. Well,
0: (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot more evidence to support it when you have like scientific studies backing you up. Well, that also requires you to take what is essentially qualitative, like um, evaluations, and turn them into data.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah, it's all of it's all about understanding what your data means Mm -hmm. to that person and what assumptions you're making by like taking different conclusions away from it. Right, right. Which is just. By doing research for a long time, you tend to start to understand like when you're making poor assumptions with the data you have and the research methods you've used and just what conclusions you can draw from different types of data. And
0: you've been in so you've been in this field now for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And big milestone today, right?
2: Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I got the email from the you that like very not excitedly like, you, are, you got your masters <laughs> now you can catch all the Pokemon
4: yeah.
2: <laughs> not all of them though oh yeah all don't right. have the foot yet ah <laughs> you gotta get that <laughs> yep. yep that's the next milestone the FUD is that how you that's how you pronounce it I always pronounce it <laughs> <laughs> that does sound better actually yeah Puh-hudda. got a rhythm to it
1: yeah you're yeah, both it's it. FID. Yeah. <laughs>
3: I love it. <laughs> so I, I'm curious, like, what kinds of tools do you use to collect the research that you gather? Uh, I'm sure, there's a ton out there.
2: Yeah, there are just a lot of different, basically, metrics you can gather okay. on player behavior. It really depends on what you want to learn about the player as to what method you should use and mm. what method you should collect data with. Okay. In the talk I gave at Glitchcon, I have a whole slide. Can, like just three rows of different types of methods you can use and data sources. Oh, dang. You um, definitely should put that in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'll, I'll just name off a few of them. Yeah. Um, focus groups are one of them. Um, okay. I think you've had Hannah Murphy do this for Metro Nexus. That's right.
0: right. Uh, she conducted a UX focus group for my game a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, we actually want to have her on to sort of maybe debrief our listeners. Uh, and Because I I got the presentation from her a while back, and it's really enlightening when you see that kind of approach to what you had been doing. It's just playtesting up to then, but to have a little bit of a formal kind of setup for it, it Mm -hmm. uh, unlocks a couple of things that you wouldn't have expected. And I, I'd love to share that with the listeners.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't done a ton of focus groups. I've generally done more one-on-one work, but it's definitely very useful for all the multiplayer games locally. Oh yeah, can't just do interviews. So right.
0: Well, with games group. like ours, like even Fingence, which has a really solid single-player mode, you it's a four-player game right. by design. Yep. So, four players is is is, is your one-on-one. Yeah, 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 so yeah. You need you like you need data to get any mm-hmm. you know any information. That's where yeah. focus groups come in. Mm-hmm.
1: It's kind of cool too to like have someone else be running the focus group because it's like so so often when you are playtesting, like it, you feel like you are influencing how the person. Responds because they're uh, like, "Oh, I don't want to hurt your feelings." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs>
2: yeah. And even just your interactions with that person are different because you have created it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Someone who has a level of separation from it will definitely be a little bit more objective with the questions that they ask. Maybe stick to the script a little bit harder. So
0: I get thrown for loops by things players say, and then I'm like, "Oh, let's explore that." But like that—that's because I'm interested in it, right? It's not it. It then kind of impacts their playtesting experience and yeah. kind of makes so it's yeah, you are not a very good researcher of your own work. Right, right yep. for certain. Like as, as dispassionate as you can be and as much practice as you have, um, you want someone else to do it. Yeah. Ideally.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: That doesn't um, mean you shouldn't
3: play test, though, guys. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, cause that
0: that is the we've talked about that in yeah. our playtesting episode. It's like the types of information you get. Um, it's it's not research. Like playtesting right. is not research, it's something different. It's mm-hmm. um,
2: Observational yeah. research, yeah. Um, it, it, it depends it, uh, on how much you intervene with the with the person, but right. yeah.
0: <laughs> um, it ha- yeah. It yeah has different applications where this is more focused, and and that's that that's what makes it a different. Even though it has a lot of the same kinds
2: of uh, interactions and and activities related, right? Yeah, you know, yep. And the context that you're playtesting in impacts it. Even at playtests, like it's a very different environment. People yeah. are generally excited to try games mm-hmm. versus like pulling in people that have never played your game, do not play indie games. Right. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I know Hannah was telling me about, like, you know, even with the group that we brought together um she screened for uh different interest types and things like that yep. to make sure that the to have some at least has some knowledge about the group going in so we could you know sort of um test for that sort yeah. of thing yeah. um but even then she was telling me that you know it's still an artificial environment and we have to look at our data through the lens of the limitations and scenarios that we've established yep. and that's something that is like requires craft to to understand how those things are how translated through those lenses right yeah
2: yeah it takes a lot of time mm-hmm. to understand how people are biased in different ways and what affects them. Uh, some other methods. Going back to that, uh, interviews, like we said, surveys, as you have you have been working on. Yes, <laughs> yes.
3: Yeah, I have a particular question about that. How do you get people to fill
2: those hours? <laughs> so you are hamstrung by the fact that you're online. Ah, yes. That makes it much harder to get feedback because there's just a diffusion of responsibility.
3: Well, like, I guess we should have
0: been handing them out at at lot when we were on that live show. Yeah, We'd just been passing them out. We had flyers, but yeah, we didn't have our feedback. Dang, we, yeah, yeah we, did, we just head. guilted everyone from the stage. <laughs> didn't work. Bad strategy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so if you're out there and you have some maybe sympathy for us, nicegames.club/slash/feedback. <laughs>
1: <laughs> maybe we should have a party, and then the, <laughs> to get into the party, you have to fill out the feedback. Oh. I love it. I but got, then we'll yeah. get all lots of bias. Like, let me in. <laughs> Terrible review. <laughs>
2: One possible way to get more feedback would be to change up the type of feedback you're asking for each time. Hmm. Um, so just changing up the format to target more specific things each time, or just changing the method that you're delivering it in. Okay. Because I know you've already tried like getting feedback through Twitter and yeah. iTunes reviews and such as well. I mean, you're already doing a lot. To get review, <laughs> to that's get true. feedback,
0: I've I've always seen there's an element of like volume, at least for the. T- I mean, we are advertising, so it's a, little, this is a different kind of thing than just straight research. Certainly, right. say, data collection. Um, but uh, but yeah, so it, it it is hard to know without without the feedback from what kind of things are working. It's hard to know to pour more resources into it, mm-hmm. and that's where that's where having a lot of data is not just useful because of what the data shows, but how then how you can direct future
2: study. Yeah, right. One other suggestion is you could just have people sit down and listen to an episode, give them five bucks to listen to it, and then give you feedback about it afterwards. Oh, specifically. have a focus group yeah. about oh. the podcast. Yep. Hey, we, that might, sounds we, fun.
0: we might ask you to do that for us.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be one way, because then people are more like involved mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah, there's yeah. money on the line. <laughs> yeah, let to- Yeah, yeah. do it. Yeah, and that goes into all of the psychology of incentives and how people like generally need some incentive to do anything.
0: Mm-hmm. But then it's different when you're doing like um, analytics or just data collection from normal player use. Yeah, right.
2: Yeah, yeah. So analytics are another type of uh, data you can collect on player behavior, and it's generally constructed by basically putting tags into your game at different points and it basically instructs your game to send a little tag to a server about what that player did at that time, and then all of the different player behaviors are saved in a server or a bunch of files, and you can dig through all those files to look at what people did in your game. Mm -hmm. Um, They're especially useful for like tutorials to see where people get stuck in the tutorial or where they Uh drop off and lose Uh interest. Um, They're also really useful for balancing. So if, say, you have... One boss in your game that is just unbeatable. Um, but whenever you play it in person, the people know how to play it well enough and they beat it every time. So yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah. You don't have the entire sample of people playing necessarily. The nice mm-hmm. thing about that is you can get like a mass sort
3: of a feedback thing from it. If you can get enough people to play it online or wherever, you can get a whole bunch of samples right away. Yep. And you can figure out what's wrong and what's right with your game.
2: Yeah. Yeah. As long as the analytics triggers are working well. Right. They don't always work
3: well. (laughs) Yeah, I have had difficulties in the past trying to get that to work in Mm Fingers.
2: Yeah. And I mean, the majority of the time, they're not too troublesome, but sometimes troubleshooting them can be very difficult. Yeah. Like we've been working, Matt and I, on the tutorial funnel trigger for Zodiac. And Every time there's something wrong with it. Like, somehow, (laughs) at one point in the tutorial funnel, like at step 19 of the tutorial, more people have finished that than at step five. And it's like (laughs) very (laughs) suspect data. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But, well, as a developer, like it's, it's another thing you have to design for yep. and and program in and, and bug fix. As yep. much as Unity likes to say there's just a switch when you start a new project to yep. do it, like it's not that easy. Mm-hmm.
2: There are a lot of metrics that they'll provide out of the box, okay, um, just automatically, like mm-hmm. retention rates by day. So, like, say you get a new user on Friday, yeah, did they come back on Saturday? Oh,
0: okay, okay. Um, oh, provide- and that makes sense. That's the type of information that doesn't have to be your app it just has to be an app for that to work yep. right yeah okay yeah
2: they'll provide like the number of active users how much money they've spent uh, different things like that it's the when you get to customizing it for your game right it right takes mm. a lot more a lot more work mm-hmm. to get it to work right
1: which makes sense because it has to integrate with however you have coded it which yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is however you have coded it <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah yeah and there's a lot of different ways to format your data. As like recently at Glitchcon, like the whole data structures uh, workshop mm-hmm. went over like there are just a lot of different ways to structure <laughs> your data, a lot of different ways to analyze your data. So for them to build a system that automatically does that for you would be very difficult. Right. Right.
0: So I mean, if uh, someone with no resources is building a Unity project wants to put analytics in it, mm-hmm. um, I mean, what kind of effort would you recommend they put into it? You know,
2: starting out. Um well it depends on the game. Like you want to collect information about specific areas that you think people may have trouble. Mm -hmm. Um I'm thinking more premium games right now. Sure. Mm -hmm. So say you have a level structure in a game, do you think people are going to get through all of the levels or not? Mm -hmm. Or do you think that you need some like difficulty balancing across them? Uh, Yep. Or Basic. I'm trying to think of something else, like related to vengeance, like balancing power levels across characters. Oh yeah, like
3: like. Well, yeah. Every every character has different stats. Yeah. So well, maybe some character stats. has too much health. Mm-hmm, Another character mm-hmm.
2: deals too much damage.
3: Yep. So that kind of stuff would be helpful.
2: Yep. So you could collect like their stats at the end of each level to see yeah. if they're balancing out the way you wanted them to. Mm-hmm. Um crabs you could see if the red crab is more powerful than the green crab like we wanted to do isn't
1: that how we sort of discovered that the two sprite sheets were slightly different and i don't know were they uh yeah they ended up being and so like i had to go through and like meticulously like line them up so they were exactly the same (laughs) because i was like i think the green crab is winning more often
2: was that true then um, could have been true. Could Green have been. It was different. It was different. So. <laughs> <laughs> do, we, do we have?
1: Do we have analytics in CloudBreak?
2: We, we tried to put it in, in oh. like a day. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so probably not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think I it worked, worked
1: for so. one, like one playthrough, and then it broke.
3: So. Uh, hopefully not one round, right? Because like that's barely
2: nothing in <laughs> six seconds. <laughs> yeah. yeah, six <laughs> seconds of feedback. <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> yeah, and I hadn't worked with it a lot at that point either. Mm-hmm. And implementing these things are generally very different from analyzing them. Mm. Mm. And I've only ever been taught to really analyze data. Like right, collecting that type of data is a whole other beast. So, oh, wow, yeah, it's a, there's an art to it. Yeah, right. That's it,
0: it's so much more tied into the development. Yep, you can't just hire someone to do your data for you
2: and just. Yeah, just tandem your game. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. Just put, some, put yeah. some hooks in there. Right, right. Here's,
0: here's the code base. Have fun. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yep. Yeah, it's definitely not something mm-hmm. that an analyst can come in and just like, oh, yeah, I just want to know these things. Just tell me those. Just put hooks into your game right there, there, and there. Right, right, right. It's more of a relationship and a discussion. Yeah, right?
0: yeah. And that's a relationship you have with Gravic, mm-hmm. um, Matt Gravel, who you mentioned earlier. They just shipped Zodiac app mm-hmm. um, on the uh, iTunes App Store and go get it. Them. Yes, check it out. <laughs> um, uh, if only so that Nick can have more data to analyze. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tell us about that experience. Like, uh, how did it start? What, what are the things you're looking for? Maybe some of the troubles. Yeah,
2: yeah. So we started when he was still in development, like a year ago, mm-hmm. and I was doing more kind of qualitative user experience work with them. Yeah. Um, to help inform the design, it was just more helpful than trying to get analytics in at that point because there weren't a ton of users. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did like individual play tests uh, with people either in their homes or wherever they were comfortable with Zodiac to get feedback on specific points in mm-hmm. the app that they thought may be having trouble. So I basically just designed like an observational protocol to have them go through specific parts of the, the app and basically document what their experience was Mm -hmm. and then write it up in the context of what this person's previous experience with games was. Mm. So some of them had had no experience with a game like Zodiac. So trying to write up their report in a frame, like in that frame, versus somebody who plays mobile games on a regular basis. So we did that initially. And then... I think it was like a couple months later, they were doing a soft launch of the app and they wanted a report on just the health of the soft launch. Mm -hmm. So we computed a bunch of different, like, general mobile metrics on the game, similar to like the retention rates and such. And I mentioned earlier, in addition to like how much are they playing the game? Are they. How are they engaging with the navigation of the app? So we collected different analytics triggers on things like that. Um, are people navigating to the store? Since it's a freemium game, yeah, mm. you would like them to be able, or hopefully yeah. navigate <laughs> yeah. to the store where they can make in-app purchases. Um, so that was like eight months ago, and then they were officially launching on June 1st, and they wanted a more comprehensive way to track certain metrics on a regular, like on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So we updated all of the Unity Analytics events so that they um, kind of fell in line with what they needed to know in order to kind of track the health of the app. Mm -hmm. So we have a bunch of different tables. It's like nine different tables in Google Sheets that we follow that I populate from a statistical pack or a statistical program called R. Oh, um, but all of our data comes from Unity Analytics, and we tried to automate the export of data from Unity Analytics. It doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> oh. This is what you were dealing with this week, right? Somewhat. It's okay. related to the data export. Okay. Yeah. And they have like an API set up to call data from it, mm-hmm. but... They just have such a weird way of <laughs> packaging the data. Like they zip up each file and it has an incoherent name. Why? And then when you unzip it, it doesn't have a file extension for some reason. Uh-huh. I don't know why. We've just been trying to figure out a way to coherently pull data from this. And for, there's also weirdness with like, you can only make one request for each day from the API and then you have to know like the key that's related to that API call. Right. Oh that's right. I remember to reference some, back to it. Uh-huh. Someone was complaining about yeah, that. Yeah, Nick was yeah, other Nick Nick. Other Nick. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm referring to myself in third
2: person. <laughs> um but this week we we're dealing with their data export utility broke. That's what I was complaining oh, to you right. about.
0: You had to get that. You had to c- contact Unity.
2: Yeah. Right. So for anyone that works with data, they gave me a comma delimited data set, mm. but it wasn't a real comma delimited data set like a CSV. Uh, it had JSON data oh. embedded.
1: No. in One oh. of the columns. No.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Which I will never understand. And all of the the JSON data is like all the custom events, so it's not like you can just ignore them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's all of the specific events about Zodiac. Oh, <laughs> you were telling
0: me about this form, Like, how would that happen? But it, I guess is they just don't. Yeah. For the custom stuff, they just don't have a way to make that
2: into. Yeah. Yeah, they could just. Why wouldn't name they put all the it columns. all in JSON? Uh, so this is this deals with their their problem, like their job that they usually run that turns it into JSON broke. Hmm. Um, um and then I don't know why they didn't just run that job again when it was fixed to give me <laughs> JSON. <laughs> so I had to ask for it, and they got it to me the next day. Mm. But it, at the time, it was like. Four days into the launch, and yeah. the producer was like, "Oh, we don't have data. Why don't we have data?" <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think a lot of times when, as indie devs, when something breaks, you, it's really easy just to go in the corner and cry for three days. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, sometimes there's a producer involved, and they, mm. they need it now. Yeah. So. Yep. yeah, but you had said that the people at Unity, you know, I mean, it was a problem, and they were kind of, it was kind of all their fault. But like, they were nice about it, right? Yeah, they were not, yeah. not too bad to work with.
2: Yeah, they've always been very nice. With this service, because mm-hmm. I believe it's still in development, mm. in yeah. Unity, mm-hmm. and it's not deployed as like a service you can buy yet. So I think they're still trying to refine it. Okay, and okay. want to make it better. So they, I mean, I'm
0: sure they welcome like you know feedback from people who are employing it.
2: Yep, yeah. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, it stays that way. Yeah, and nice about it. <laughs> yeah.
0: So that leverages the thing that I know you're most interested in is the the quantitative data. Um, can you maybe describe sort of the types of insights you'd get different from quantitative versus qualitative data? Because I think for indie devs, even when we do try to collect information, like we try to get our feedback form, or when I do the small-scale tests that Hannah did for me, that's all mostly, there's data there, but it's mostly qualitative. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of interpreting you have to do, but it also can have some really specific insights that come directly from users. With quantitative, it's totally different. What are you looking for that's different, and what like, what do you ignore, and what's, you know, just what's different about it?
2: I generally think, qualitative data is much more useful mm-hmm. in the development cycle mm. um, like when you are in pre-production or currently producing a game with before it is launched like getting qualitative feedback from people is much more useful mm. because it will provide you with insight into the player that you wouldn't get from analytics yeah mm. yeah um, once you have the game at a point where like it needs to go to scale, I think that's when analytics start being more useful mm. to provide insight into different trends that you would never notice on an individual basis. But that—that's the main difference okay. I would draw. I think analytics are a necessity at scale.
0: Okay. But so it's really about the, the fine grain, the environment in which you're using it. Yep. And the, the types of questions you want answered. Yep. Okay.
2: Yeah analytics I can't answer that many questions other than like oh everyone's doing this and I don't know why <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then you go back to qualitative to figure out why the hell people are doing that yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so it's it's an iterative cycle like they they work off of each other very well because they play to different strengths mm. oftentimes people utilize one much over the other though mm. like people are just generally chained in one discipline over the oh, other okay, okay oh sure. Um, based on where you were trained as a researcher mm-hmm. which is changing over time like mixed methods is something that has become much more popular over the past like 20 to 30 years where research employs both methods in tandem yeah mm. it's just much better overall
0: okay <laughs> i mean is that just as simple as using both when you need to or or is it something that's it's hard for people to wrap a whole like study around something like that.
2: Uh, I mean, it it should follow the general framework which would describe like how to use it in games. Sure. You use qualitative methods to kind of get insight into the general framework in context of Mm -hmm. what you're studying. Um, And then that informs how you design your analytics because you can understand where things may be going wrong or where you need more information. Cool. Yeah. Instead of just kind of shooting from the hip. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, it's it's not easy to find a researcher either. Yeah. That's interested in games. Yeah. There are true. not a ton of them.
3: No, there aren't. Yeah. I know there's like a whole UX um, track at GDC. Yep.
2: Which was very well attended. So yeah. it's definitely getting more, more and more popular.
3: I slipped into a couple of those. That yeah. was pretty interesting. That was new this year, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, it was. A, oh, the whole track was. Okay. Yeah. The year I did go, there were some. I guess there wasn't a track about it though. Mm. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there's always been some it isn't every year they do a big data session. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh so there's it's it's always been of interest EDAR. to a certain audience in the in the industry. But yeah, talk a little bit about that. Like you know, when you decided this is what you wanted to do, like uh, in your education, how did you how did you find that? Like how how were you able to get the education you needed and the attention for the work you wanted to do?
2: It was tricky cuz I had worked with grad students prior and I knew I needed more well at least all of the mentor examples I was working off of had PhDs. So I was like, oh, well, i get a PhD then. <laughs> um, so it was very motivated by that. Like just the, the examples I saw in the field all had PhDs mm-hmm. that were in like leadership roles and such. Mm-hmm. Thus, I just sought to get more research experience while staying connected to Glitch. Mm-hmm. So, I looked around at the U. I looked around at some other schools around here and basically interviewed my advisors. Like, I, I felt like I was interviewing them. So <laughs> like I was going to choose the one that I wanted. Yeah. Um, because I knew how important that was to grad school itself. Yeah. Because your whole degree is decided by one person, essentially. Mm. Um, mm. And your trajectory is decided, like, what research you're going to be working on. So yeah. once I found my advisor, Keisha, um, who was very interested in like the research I proposed and was doing uh, related work on interactive learning um, with climate change, interactive oh, cool. simulations and visualizations, she was just very supportive of me kind of taking my own route yeah. and finding my own research projects to work on, which is something I didn't really get any... Practice with Mm -hmm. at the VA Medical Center when I was doing research. Mm -hmm. Like I was working on somebody else's research projects the whole time and somebody else's questions. Right. So that was the beginning of it. Mm -hmm. It's just, yeah, I knew I needed to get a PhD and I wanted to do it somewhere (laughs) that I would enjoy my five years there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And you're halfway there. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I was fortunate to find. My master's thesis project with the historical society. Mm -hmm. Like I randomly met the person who made the augmented reality game there, and Mm -hmm. they had been collecting analytics on it for like two years, (laughs) but didn't have anyone to analyze the data. Uh, It was like a perfect
0: meeting. Then, like you needed data, and they needed someone to look at their data. (laughs) Yep. Wow. I had no idea what how serendipitous that was.
2: Yeah, it was. I think we had like an event at the VR lab in Rapson. Oh, with okay. Oh
0: yeah.
1: And
2: oh, that's her. right. And she just happened to come out to that event and I happened <laughs> to be like helping her with her headset during that.
4: <laughs> <staff>.
2: <laughs> so it was very fortunate that I got that experience and now we'll be working on the project with TPT soon. Mm-hmm. So,
0: So yeah, Glitch is doing a couple of games projects for TPT, the local PBS affiliate, Mm -hmm. and uh, and you're going to be there to you know design research around the games. That's great, like From Jump, which is that's really exciting. Oh Oh, man, yeah, so cool. You we be design findings from the start. <laughs> <I don't laughs> <think so. laughs> well,
2: that is great. Yeah. So, so how that'll does turn into my dissertation and such?
0: Oh, okay, that's great. Um, so how do you think um, having that ability to to think about those things at the beginning of a project how does that influence game design?
2: I generally have the opinion that it shouldn't influence the game design at all. Okay. Mm. Um, I would prefer that the game is fun. Mm-hmm. First, yeah. yeah, and then afterwards, like I step in with like this is how people learn this topic from the literature, and this is how we're going to measure whether people are learning that topic. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
0: kind of a naturalist view, like yes. uh, stay out of the of, yep. of that arena. That's yep. interesting.
3: Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. It makes a lot of mm-hmm. sense to me to mm-hmm. because if you go if you go too scientific on it, like. You're gonna you're gonna lack like some of the soul of a game, you know? Sure. In
2: you know, a yeah. weird meta way of looking at it. Yeah. I mean there's there's many examples of it going completely wrong by yeah. taking that exact approach where oh, okay. it's too much of like the educational standard Yeah of yeah. the outset and mm-hmm. not enough gameplay design. Right, right, right. Right.
3: Yeah, a lot of teachers like they, they wanna make a game. And they're like, oh, yeah, I could do this. I've, I've, I've analyzed how students learn. And so they try to make a game, and it's just like not any good
0: <laughs> because of yeah. that, I guess. Well, I suppose that approach, I mean, like, uh, there's other things that can cause you to have a results focused yep. design, right? Rather than a uh, uh, process oriented. Yeah. Um, I think those are the right buzzwords. I'm not sure. <laughs> 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 but, you know, can uh, lead you Plus to. Quiz later.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: <exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> but you, 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 know, you want to be there early in the, um, the software architecture part, right? Yep. So that you make sure that those. Programming is designed to facilitate that kind of data collection and, mm-hmm. and uh, in an efficient way. Yep. Right?
2: Yeah. And there's somebody in Florida that's kind of been pioneering that work with how to study player behaviors to better understand whether somebody is learning something mm-hmm. in a game or not. Mm-hmm. And her name is Valerie Shute. She term like coined the term stealth assessment, (laughs) which everybody laughs at when they hear it. I completely understand. I remember you brought that up, and I was like, "Ninjas? Are they teaching us
1: this? (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome!"
2: (laughs) Yeah, so that's the framework that I'm going to be using, and it generally like they've used it to study how people learn problem solving in Plants vs Zombies. Mm -hmm. They've used it to understand how well people develop. Uh, physics understandings mm. or an understanding of physics in World of Goo. Oh, oh, interesting. So oh. she has two papers out on those two topics, and that's very interesting. I would like to get her here to talk about her work. Oh, I would love that. Yeah. yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's generally, I feel like it's giving games... Like it's providing evidence that you do learn in games in general. Like it's not just educational games that you learn, right? In, right. Um, because they're kind of retrofitting these entertainment games with these kind of goal or the the assessments, mm-hmm. and showing that they do have an impact on like traditional problem solving measures and such. Right. Right. If you play this game and such, so.
0: Yeah. yeah, The the pro, we talk about this a lot around here. The approach to e learning is very often just taking curriculum material and then
1: gamifying it, and ga- it. You know, yeah. put it yeah. around <laughs> right, it,
0: yeah. rather than using like gameplay to teach concepts, which is something we're all very excited. about. it's really hard to explain, and it's even harder to pitch. Yep. Uh, to, well, to frankly, it's hard to do. Yeah. It's not a, yeah. <laughs> It's not an easy I was leaving do. that part out. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, before we let you go, Nick, um, what kind of resources do you think are out there that if someone's interested in this field and having trouble getting sort of their claws into it, uh, where, where would you send them?
2: The most useful thing for me so far has been the Games User Research SIG of the IGDA. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been a very supportive community, a very friendly community. When I went out to their conference two years ago, and it runs right alongside GDC, so oh, if you go right. up to San Francisco, it is hosted like a mile away from it usually. Yeah, um, and it's a pretty small community. It's like three hundred or so people mm-hmm. that go every year, but yeah, it's just like it's a nice introduction to what you can do and who has been doing it for a while. What are their backgrounds? What do they do? What are the what are the big companies doing for research? Um, what are some of the more indie kind of? consultant teams doing mm-hmm. for research on games.
0: Nice. Yeah. cool. And people want to get in, to get in touch with you mm-hmm. to sort of
2: maybe learn from your learnings, right? Yeah. How can they do that? Uh, you can just look me up on Google. I think I come up a lot now uh, from Glitch. Like, <laughs> he says honestly. Mostly modestly. <laughs> from Glitch. No, I looked at it the other day and I like I don't even know why I come up so <laughs> <laughs> So just my name, uh, Nicholas Van Merten. Or you can go to Twitter, Nicholas VM. What else? What other suggestions do you have for people to get in touch with me?
0: To get in touch with you? I don't know. They can come by and bonk you on the
2: head and <laughs> yeah. say, hey, Pringle. Like, <laughs> 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 yeah, Twitter just generally works pretty good, though.
0: Yeah. And of course glitch.mn is where you can find all the information about the glitch programming. Yep. Um you run the immersion program, which we've all woo, woo, gone woo. through and we talked yeah. about we talked about a lot on this show. And we'll probably have you back to talk more about that because it's, it's it was an important thing to a lot of us. And uh, I thought on the record here I'll just thank you on the air for it because yeah, you thanks, do a great Rick. job with it. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll definitely have you back thank to talk you. more about that but um, yeah thanks so much mm-hmm. for popping in and telling us all about this yeah um, it, I it's so fascinating and mm-hmm. then maybe because I don't have it's not some one of those things I can look at and understand like I feel like there's a lot of fields where I can say like oh yeah if I just spend some time I can get this but this is a it's a mysterious thing to me and it's so interesting and I'm so jealous of the people who can get their minds around it so thanks for bringing that knowledge to us yeah thank you for having me on. Alright, that's our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to the Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app, and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it, or nice like us. We do need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. And of course, Steven, that feedback form. It's nice not going to fill out itself. NiceGames.Club slash feedback. That's right. NiceGames.Club slash feedback. Marco, both. what was that?
1: NiceGames.Club slash feedback. Nick, did you get that?
0: It,
3: I didn't get it. No, what was it again, guys? Uh, <laughs> nice games. I think it was NiceGames.Club slash feedback. That's
2: right. right. so it was, yeah. Or just go to Steven's Twitter and just yell at him. Yeah. Hey, that's a good <laughs> idea. I like it.
0: Hey, we'll take feedback anyway. we can get it. Anywhere. You can talk about uh, this episode and others on uh, Reddit at r/slash game dev. Uh, we post our show notes there, so we'll put the link in the show notes for this episode. And you can go searching for us there too if you want to talk uh, to us or talk to each other about what we've been talking about here. Um, of course, we want to hear directly from you, so follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club. Let us know how we're doing. Send us your topics and ask us your questions. Lastly, you can find out more about the show, your nice hosts, our nice guest, as well as get all the links and notes from this and other episodes at NiceGames.club. So. Until we start again, remember to play nice
1: and make nice.